0: Of the third
1: kind. Welcome to theories of the third kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts today. There's another host that is joining me, Daniel Son. Yo, what's up? Now, real quick, before we start today's episode. I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you could do that.
2: One of the ways is Patreon. Each week we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon
1: episodes, which are completely ad-free. No ads. So in total, we have over 155 extra Patreon episodes, which is a lot of extra hours for your listening pleasure. Now to see this full list of Patreon episodes, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the Patreon episodes tab, and there is the entire list of past Patreon exclusive episodes that we have published.
2: Also, today we added another Patreon exclusive episode, which is over Diglaka, where we talk about a secret Nazi device that was supposedly either a time-traveling machine or a weapon. So you get access to that episode as well as all of the others for just $5.
1: Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you would like to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or on Spotify, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to
2: leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the
1: show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over Hitler's death. So how this episode will go today is we'll first talk about the rise of Hitler and a little bit about his childhood and then we'll go into Germany and World War 2 and then we'll go deep into the details of Hitler's death and then go into strange facts and findings theories and of course wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories so with that being said let's get into today's episode in May of
2: 1945 Words started to spread that the leader of Nazi Germany had died.
1: Upon hearing this news, many individuals celebrated. However, not long after, rumors started to spread.
2: Claims circulated that Adolf had actually survived and that he had been spotted emerging from a German U-boat in Argentina.
1: Officials denied this claim and called these rumors baseless. However, behind the scenes, the FBI was secretly searching for him. This is Hitler's death. Alright, so to start this episode off today, we first need to talk a little bit about Adolf's background as well as a little bit about World War II so that we can fully understand everything And then we'll jump into the juicy stuff, okay? So, Dan, can you start that off for us? Absolutely.
2: So, Adolf Hitler was born on April 20th, 1889, in modern-day Austria. Growing up, he had a difficult childhood, his father was abusive, and when he turned 18 years old, his mother passed away. Shortly afterwards, Adolf tried to get into art school, but was denied, and then started to struggle to find work. A few years later, in 1913, when Adolf was 24 years old, he moved to Munich, Germany, and became involved in politics, joining the German Workers' Party, later known as the Nazi Party.
1: Now, we have to explain what was going on in Germany during this period, so that you can understand why Adolf was so successful in politics. So from 1914 to 1918, World War I was going on it was fought between two coalitions. You had the Allies, which was primarily France, the United Kingdom, Russia, Italy, Japan, and the United States. So they were in one corner of the ring. And they were fighting the central powers, which was Germany, austria hungary at the time, which ended up becoming modern-day Austria, and the Ottoman Empire. So they were on the other side. They were going at it.
2: Finally, the Central Powers, a.k.a. Germany, had enough. They were losing badly and decided to negotiate a treaty. So Great Britain, France, Italy, and the United States got together in France and put together the Treaty of Versailles. On June 28, 1919, this treaty was signed and it officially ended World War I.
1: Now, not only did this treaty end World War I, but it also imposed several harsh penalties on Germany including large reparation payments to the Allies, territorial losses, and military restrictions. Now, these reparations imposed on Germany were set at an incredibly high level, which led to a massive burden on an already struggling German economy. The Treaty of Versailles also made Germany pay for the entire cost of the war, which left Germany heavily in debt.
2: Now, something else to add to this, but the war had also led to inflation in Germany. The German government had borrowed heavily to finance the war effort. As a result, the value of the German currency plummeted, leading to hyperinflation and making it difficult for many Germans to afford basic necessities.
1: So, of course, all of those factors combined together created a severe economic crisis in Germany after World War I. This provided fertile ground for the rise of extremist political movements, which promised to restore order and prosperity to the country, which is exactly what Adolf and the Nazi Party promised the German people.
2: So Adolf quickly rose through the political ranks and became the Nazi Party's leader in 1921. He promised to restore order and the prosperity to the suffering German people. He blamed the Jews, the communists, and other groups for all of the country's problems.
1: Fast forward a few years later, in 1933, and Adolf was appointed the Chancellor of Germany. Now, it was this position that allowed him to consolidate power and pretty much establish a dictatorship over Germany. For example, one of
2: Adolf's first actions as Chancellor was to pass what was called the Enabling Act. This enabling act allowed him to pass laws without the approval of the German parliament and effectively ended democracy in Germany. At the same time, he also used the secret police, aka Gestapo, to arrest and intimidate political opponents.
1: In addition to all this stuff that Adolf was doing, he decided to start rearming Germany. Now, this was a big deal because this rearming of Germany's military was a direct violation of the Treaty of Versailles.
2: Not only was Adolf rearming Germany, but he started expanding Germany's territory through military conquest. All of this led to the start of World War II.
1: All right, now that you have a basic understanding of how Adolf rose to power, let's transition into the main topic that we are covering today. So Dan, why don't you start that off for us? All right, so before
2: we discuss Adolf's death, we first need to talk about the bunker that is at Staden. So, in Berlin, Germany, there was an air raid shelter that was located near the Reich Chancellery, a.k.a. the office building of the Chancellor. Now, this air raid shelter was part of a subterranean bunker complex that was constructed in two phases.
1: So, the first phase was completed in 1936, and it was called the bunker, a.k.a. the Upper Bunker. So, this bunker was located almost 5 feet beneath the cellar of a large reception hall behind the old Reich Chancellery Building.
2: Now, the second phase was completed in 1944, and it was called the Führerbunker. This Führerbunker was located about 28 feet beneath the garden of the old Reich Chancellery, and about 390 feet north of the new Reich Chancellery Building.
1: Now, besides being deeper underground, the Führerbunker had significantly more reinforcement. Its roof was made of concrete, almost 3 meters, 9 feet, 10 inches, for you Americans, thick. And it contained about 30 small rooms that were protected by approximately 4 meters, 13 feet and 1 inches, for you Americans, of concrete. Now, it had exits that led into the main buildings, as well as an emergency exit up to the garden. Now, these two bunkers, the bunker and the
2: Vaubanka. They were both connected by a stairway and could be closed off from each other by a bulkhead and steel door. Even though the two bunkers were connected, Adolf mainly stayed in the newer one, the Führerbunker.
1: Now the Führerbunker had been decorated with high-quality furniture that was taken from the chancellery, along with several framed oil paintings. This bunker contained a long corridor with a series of rooms on each side, as well as a generator and ventilation room. And even a telephone switchboard room. There was a diesel generator that provided these bunkers with electricity, and well water that was pumped in as the water supply for them. So they were, I mean, I wouldn't say living comfortably, but they had the necessities. They
2: did. So this entire bunker complex was self-contained. However, the dumbass who built the Fiona Bunker didn't take into account the water table. Due to this, The conditions were unpleasantly damp, and they had to have pumps continuously running to remove groundwater.
1: All right, so that gives you a good overview of the bunker itself. Now let's jump to January 16th, 1945. On this day, Adolf officially moved into the Fio Bunker, along with two to three dozen support, medical, and administration staff. And this bunker became the center of the Nazi regime.
2: The bunker was crowded and Adolf mostly stayed on the lower level. However, in the afternoon, he would go to the upper level where he would hold his military conferences. Afterwards, he would have tea with his secretaries before returning to the lower level for the night. For the following months, this was a daily routine for Adolf, only a few times actually leaving the bunker to take a short walk through the garden with his dog, Blondie.
1: All right. So let's fast forward to April 16th, 1945. On this day, the Red Army, a.k.a. the Soviet Union Army, they started the Battle of Berlin. And by April 19th, the Red Army had started encircling the city. The following day, on April 20th, Adolf made his last trip up to the surface for his 56th birthday he ended up going to the garden of the reich chancellery where he awarded the iron cross to boy soldiers of the hitler youth and then quickly returned to his underground bunker that afternoon for the first time berlin was bombarded by soviet artillery so can you imagine that you're part of hitler youth right you're kid you know the soviets have berlin surrounded all of a sudden Comes Hitler from the ground. <laughs> he walks over to you. Are hey, you doing a great job? Look, here is an Iron Cross. Go get him, Tiger. And he goes back underground. Ugh. Such a shame. Yeah. All
2: right, continuing on. Eight days later, on April 28th, Adolf was chilling in his underground bunker, all worried and shit. And to add to the stress, he ended up getting word that one of his right hand men, Heinrich Himmler, ended up going behind his back and tried discussing surrender terms with the Western allies. Adolf was pissed, considered this treason and order for Heinrich's arrest.
1: Just after midnight, so technically the next day on April 29th, 1945, Adolf was sitting there, he sat up on his couch, and he said, You know what? I got my girlfriend Eva Braun down here in this bunker with me. I should probably marry her ass before we die. What do you say? Huh? Does that sound good? He didn't say that last part, but he did say, hey, My girlfriend's down here in this bunker with me. I should probably marry her before, you know, we end up dying. So, a small civil ceremony
2: was put together in the underground bunker, which Adolf ended up marrying Eva Braun. Shortly after that, he took his secretary to another room and dictated his last will and testament. So, Hans, Wilhelm, Goebbels, and Bormann witnessed and signed the documents at approximately 4 a.m. After that, Adolf ended up going to bed.
1: The following day, on April 30th, the commander of the Nazi army over the district of Berlin ended up informing Adolf that, hey, we're only going to be able to hold off the Red Army for maybe only two more days. So later that morning, the commander went back to Adolf and said, hey, um, we have an issue. I know how I said uh, it's going to be about two more days we can hold them off, but I don't think that's the case anymore. We ended up calculating how much ammunition we had left and uh, we're likely going to run out of ammo by tonight. So that means we're not going to be able to hold off the Red Army for two days. More than likely, uh, we're only going to be able to hold them off until tonight.
2: After hearing this news, Adolf held a meeting with all of his generals. He advised them that defeat was unavoidable and that the Soviets were just 200 yards from the bunker
1: that they were in. Following that meeting at around 2.30 p.m., Adolf and his wife Eva decided to have lunch, which consisted of spaghetti with cabbage and raisin salad. Nasty. Gross. After lunch, Eva put on her husband's favorite dress and they both went to Adolf's personal study room.
2: An hour later at 3.30 p.m., there were reports that a gunshot had been heard from the study area and several officers went into Adolf's personal study area to find both Eva and Adolf's corpse. An individual named Arthur Axman was one of the first individuals to find Adolf
1: and Eva, and he said, and we quote, We found Eva Braun sitting on the sofa, her head resting on Adolf's left shoulder. She was dead, but had no marks of violence on her body. She died of poison. Adolf's lower jaw was slightly discarded. It was obvious that he had shot himself in the mouth. On either side of his temples, I saw drops of blood, The blanks of his pistol had ruptured the veins on either side of his head. The sofa was stained with blood and the pistol laid at his feet. I remained with the corpses for about 10 minutes. Then I returned to the conference room and at this point saw Adolf and Eva's body being carried out of the bunker. Alright, so that is what Arthur stated. Now let's talk about an individual named Otto.
2: So there was a guy named Otto Guncha. He was an SS officer and a part of Adolf's close inner circle. Now, Adolf had told this Otto guy that if the day ever came that he died,
1: to burn his body. Well, guess what? That day did indeed come. Adolf and Eva's bodies were taken to the surface and dragged behind the Reich Chancellery. Otto covered their bodies in petrol and tried to burn them. Now, I say try because the bodies did not burn entirely. So instead of trying to burn them again, Otto and a few of the other Nazi officers decided to go ahead and cover up the rest of the burnt, charred remains and leave them in a shallow bomb crater.
2: Now, keep in mind, no one knew about Adolf killing himself. The first news to the outside world that Adolf had died came from the Germans themselves. So on May 1st, 1945, the day after Adolf shot himself, the Reichsinde Hamburg radio station interrupted their normal programming to announce that Adolf had died that afternoon, even though he died the previous day, and they introduced his successor, President Karl
1: Donitz. Thirteen hours after the German radio station announced this, the leader of the Soviet Union, Joseph Stalin, was informed. Stalin was sort of shocked, and initially he didn't really believe it. He wanted confirmation that Adolf was indeed dead, so he ordered the Red Army's Military counterintelligence Unit to find Adolf's corpse. The following day, on May 2, 1945,
2: the Soviet's Red Army ended up capturing the Reich Chancellery. Two days later, on May 4, 1945, the burned remains of Adolf and Eva, along with their two dogs, were discovered in a shell crater by the Red Army's Counterintelligence Commander Ivan Klaminko.
1: The remains were removed, which were two fragments of the left side of the skull, which had gunshot damage, and a part of a lower jaw. These remains were then secretly delivered to the Soviet's counter-espionage section, and Joseph Stalin ended up restricting the release of this information to the public.
2: Then on May 11, 1945, Adolf's dental assistant Kathy Hasselman and dental technician Fritz Ekman were both brought in to look over the remains of the lower jaw that the Soviets had recovered. Both individuals confirmed that the dental remains were that of Adolf and Eva. Now, the piece of skull remained uncatalogued until 1975 and was rediscovered in the Russian state archives in 1993.
1: And that right there is pretty much the history of Adolf's death. Now, just like every week, the story does not stop here because we decided to dig deep into this topic and found a lot of weird things. So, Dan, why don't you tell us about our first strange fact and finding? Alright,
2: so our first strange fact and finding, let's talk about the skull fragment that many people point to and say that this is conclusive proof that Adolf shot himself. Now, what we know is that the skull fragments were found in the crater that Adolf and Eva were supposedly burned at.
1: These skull fragments have been guarded in the archives of the Russian Secret Service since the 1940s. They have been kept in Moscow, Russia’s State Archive until the year 2000 when the skull fragment was put on public display.
2: Now this skull fragment is the main evidence that is used to back up the accepted story that Adolf committed suicide. Russia states that this skull fragment proves Soviet troops found Adolf’s body in the ruins of Berlin and that he died on April 30th when he shot himself just after
1: taking cyanide. Even the head of Moscow State Archive, Sergei Myronenko, stated that he had no doubt that the skull fragment was authentic. He was quoted saying, It is not just some bone we found in the street, but a fragment of a skull that was found in a hole where Adolf's body had been buried.
2: I mean, this is believable, right? Why I think otherwise. Well, in 2009, Connecticut archaeologist and bone specialist Nick Bellatoni flew to Moscow to go to the State Archive to inspect the skull fragment. He was allowed only one hour with the skull fragments, during which time he applied cotton swabs and took DNA samples.
1: The samples were then flown back to the University of Connecticut at the University Center for Applied Genetics. And this is where Linda Strasberg closed her lab for the next three days to work exclusively on this project. Now, the results ended up coming back that the DNA of this skull was actually a female in her 40s. So that means the skull fragments could have never belonged to Adolf. And this is where some people say, well, hey, it was probably his wife's, you know, Eva's. But the issue with that is that she was 33 years old when she died. Also, she did not shoot herself. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's the first part of it. That's just the skull fragments. Now, let's get into the next part of it, the jawbone and dental work.
2: Now, just like the skull fragments, the jawbone and dental work of Adolf is just as guarded in Russia. So, in 2018, two investigative journalists, the French John Christophe Brissard and the Russian-American Lana Parshina, negotiated with the Russian Secret Service for months to try and get access to the state archives to examine the supposed jawbone of Adolf.
1: Finally, both of them were granted access and traveled to the State Archive. There, with the help of Philippe Charlier, a French scientist who specializes in historical quote-unquote cold cases, analyzed the supposed jawbone of Adolf. They came to the conclusion that the jawbone was in fact Adolf's. So, how did they
2: actually come to that conclusion? Well, it was a couple things. The researchers analyzed the teeth with a stereo microscope and were even able to dissect a few particles that they involuntarily brought back with them to France, which were stuck to their laboratory gloves. The investigators also relied on testimonies of Adolf's dentists and physicians, as well as x-ray plates that were taken after a 1944 assassination attempt.
1: With all of this information, the researchers concluded that the jawbone that was presented to them is not a historical forgery. They also stated, and we quote, We are certain of the anatomical correspondence between the radiographies, the tales of the witnesses, especially those who made the dental prosthesis, and what we had in hand. With this, we concluded that Adolf did, in fact, die in that bunker, and then got dragged up and burned. Damn. Now, on the surface, that doesn't seem like a big deal, right?
2: Researchers who did some independent testing and supposedly concluded that the jawbone was indeed Adolph's. However, after looking deeper into the researchers, we found something odd.
1: Oh yeah. So, just like Dan stated, we looked into the researchers, and we found out that after they returned to France, they had their results published as a book. And guess what? They were even given their own television documentary. Now, when you take that into account and you understand that these researchers relied on testimonies of Adolf's dentist and physicians to coincide with the dental work that he had done, as well as x-ray plates, and compared them with a very, very small piece of jawbone that they had, it sort of makes you kind of question it, right? It sort of looks fishy, like the researchers had a motive, right? that they wanted it to be Hitler's so that they could get that book deal and TV deal. But that's just speculation on my part. Yeah.
2: So there was no scientific proof behind their conclusion, besides the fact that the particles he brought back with him that were stuck on the laboratory gloves was not, and I quote, historical forgery. Talking about the jawbone not being a forgery. So it is not crazy to theorize that these researchers might have been jumping to conclusions so that they could get a book and TV deal whenever they got back home.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's not that crazy to jump to that theory. I mean, they were pretty much just saying, hey, this jawbone was indeed a jawbone.
2: Well, they had a photo here from 1944. I have to believe that this is actually Ados. And here's his jawbone. Looks, looks the Yeah,
1: and this jawbone is a jawbone. <laughs> anyway. So there you go. That is pretty much the summary of the skull fragment as well as the jawbone. So let's move on to our next strange fact and finding, which is about a declassified CIA document. So a declassified document that was dated October 3rd, 1955, was released. And in this document, there was a letter from a former German SS trooper named Philipp Citron. Now in this letter, Philip claimed that Adolf was still alive, And around January of 1955, he had left Colombia and headed to Argentina.
2: Also enclosed with the document was an alleged photograph of Philip sitting next to a person that he claimed to be Adolf. On the back of the photograph was written, Adolf's Scritto, 1954. Now, this declassified report goes on to state that neither the contact who reported this conversation with Philip to the CIA nor the CIA station was in any position to give an intelligent evaluation of the information provided.
1: So pretty much, the CIA said, "Eh, we can't evaluate it." But here it is. Uh, now we do have a copy of that photograph that was in this uh, declassified document. So if you want to take a look at it, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on today's episode, and the photograph will be right there for you. And we do have to warn you: it is pretty bad in quality. It's black and white. You can tell it's been copied multiple times and it's a photograph of a person sitting in a chair and then sitting next to that person is obviously what looks like Hitler sitting there chilling, looking away you know, from the camera. The
2: guy on the left, I'm guessing is supposed to be Philip?
1: Yep, that's supposedly Philip.
2: It looks like uh, Putin
1: to me. Yeah, I can see that. Like an older Putin? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. It's a weird photograph
2: you know when someone uh they draw a picture then to fill it in they just take like a black ink pen and just start dotting yeah that's what this reminds me of someone just dotted that made this
1: photograph I wish we could see the original
2: that would be nice
1: rather than just like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy
2: yeah I've seen better UFO
1: photos than this oh yeah a lot better ones anyways so let's get on to our next strange fact and finding
2: All right, so our next strange fact and finding is not so much about proof of Adolf not dying, but about something very odd that he was a part of.
1: Now, before we get into that, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back.
2: All right, so our next strange fact and finding is not so much about proof of Adolf not dying, but about something very odd that he was a part of, which was called the Thule Society. So right after World War I, a German occultist group was founded in Munich called the Thule Society. This society sponsored the German Workers' Party, which was later reorganized by Adolf into the National Socialist German Workers' Party, aka NSDAP or the Nazi Party. So in
1: 1918, people who wanted to join this Thule society had to sign a special, and we quote, blood declaration of faith concerning their lineage, which states the following The signer hereby swears to the best of his knowledge and belief that no Jewish or colored blood flows in either his or his wife's veins, and that among their ancestors are no members of the colored races. That's racist.
2: I'm screwed.
1: Yeah, so am I. So that's what you had to sign, that declaration. And I'm guessing with your blood? Yeah. Penis blood.
2: A year later, in 1919, Adolf joined the Thule Society, which at the time was led by Dietrich Eckhart. Now keep this Dietrich guy in the back of your head, because we come back to him here in a bit. All right, so this society had a plan to reshape the human race into a more controllable form, with their end goal being surveillance and monitoring of an increasingly isolated and easily influenced population, like America.
1: (laughs) entire world seemed like they accomplished it, huh? Anyway, this Thule Society also believed that contact with ancient powers of spiritual evil was not only attainable but very desirable and if they followed through with that that they could achieve great earthly power. So this society began practicing sex magic as well as other practices to fuel their magical operations and eventually was able to open up a channel to communicate with these ancient forces of evil. Supposedly.
2: Now, it is said that since the Thule Society was able to tap into this evil power, that it had granted them the ability to manipulate the consciousness of the German people. This manipulation of their consciousness fostered a political climate that led to Adolf's rise. Once Adolf was in power, he was able to steer the world into a war, then created death camps, which provided an incredible amount of magical energy.
1: The leader of this society, Dietrich Eckhart, stated that Adolf's final initiation was done in a black magic ritual that left the Nazi leader impotent. A short time later, on his deathbed, Dietrich is said to have announced, and we quote, Follow Adolf. He will dance, but it is I who has called the
2: tune. I have initiated him into the secret doctrine, opened his centers of vision, and given him the means to communicate with the powers.
1: How weird is that? That's kind of weird. Yeah. So I know that has nothing to do with Adolf's death and him supposedly surviving World War II and escaping to Argentina, but I thought it was extremely interesting and something that we had to mention.
2: If this was true, this kind of explains
1: some of the evil shit that he did. Yeah, and the reason that the death camps were set up was because all these deaths would feed into the magical energy to basically feed these ancient evil powers. Now my question is though,
2: impotent. There's two definitions that come up. Okay. The first one, unable to take effective action, helpless or powerless, which he wasn't that. No. So it has to be the second one I see. Unable to achieve a sexual erection. So he had limp noodle syndrome.
1: I thought it was, I thought it was, he wasn't able to have a kid. I don't know. Let's see.
2: Mm. Unable to engage in sexual intercourse because of the the inability to have and maintain an erection.
1: Oh, we couldn't get it up. Poor Eva. She had no idea what she married into, huh? (laughs) Oh, that's why he was probably so mad.
2: We're going to rock this bunker tonight, Eva. It woke it up.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. So let's move on to this next strange fact and finding, which I ended up coming across it, and I was pretty shocked. I'd never heard about this before. So, Dan, Adolf's lineage, what do you know about it? I just know he's German. That's it. That's it? (laughs) That's it. Okay. What if I was to tell you that he had Jewish ancestry? Would that surprise you? To be honest, no, that wouldn't surprise me for some reason. Yeah, it really didn't surprise me either. But the story that kind of connects his lineage together is weird.
2: Now, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. It's our last one, so don't go nowhere. All right, welcome back.
1: So in the 1920s, when Adolf's like political career you know, really started taking off, there were several stories and like rumors that started spreading about Adolf's ancestry. People were claiming that he was Jewish. Now, one of the main stories was that the Baron Rothschild in Vienna, Austria, was actually Adolf's grandfather, which of course, the Rothschilds are Jewish and this would have been a huge deal for Adolf, right? He would have been Jewish. And I know on the surface this seems sort of insane. However, when you look into it, it makes you kind of wonder. All right. So what I found out is that Adolf's father was Alois Hitler. Okay. But before it was Hitler, it was originally Gruba. Okay. Alois Schlittgrube. Now, Adolf's grandmother was Maria Schlittgrube. So in 1837, when Maria, who's Adolf's grandmother, was 42 years old, she was still unmarried, she ended up giving birth to her only child, Alois. Now, in historical notes, it states that Maria refused to reveal who the boy's father was, Alois's father. So the priests baptized the baby, which at the time was named Alois Shregruba, and entered into the little place where the father's name is supposed to be illegitimate, okay, and put that into the baptism registry. Now, when you start looking into Maria's history of where she worked and all that stuff, you find out that she worked as a household servant for Ansem Solomon von Rothschild, who is the Baron Rothschilds of Vienna, Austria, okay? Now, this Baron Rothschild, was an Austrian banker, and he was a member of the Vienna branch of the Rothschilds family. He ended up passing away in 1874. Now, in 1876, Alois, which is Adolf Hitler's father, Alois changed his last name from Gruba to Hitler. Around this same time, Alois inherited a ton of wealth, okay? Now, let's talk about this Rothschild in Vienna real quick. Did you know, Dan, that the Rothschild, they're supposed to marry their first or second cousins, preferably their first cousins, to keep the wealth in the family?
2: I did not know that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And it's very common, uh, especially in the Rothschilds. So this... Anselm Solomon von Rothschild, who's the one in Vienna, who's supposedly Hitler's grandfather, he was married to his first cousin. He had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight children. And he started having children in 1827, had another one in 1830, another one in 1832, another one in 1834, 1836, 1839, 1844, and 1847. So needless to say, he was out there f***ing. Now, if you do the math and you try to figure out how old he was when Maria got pregnant, he was 34, okay? Maria was 42, 34 years old, right? He's shagging his first cousin. He's already had two to three kids with her. He's like, "Mm, I want to try to get this maid. So he shacks up with a maid. She gets pregnant. She's afraid for her life, knowing that, hey, Rothschilds can't have children outside of, you know, their family. I don't want my child to die, and I don't want to be killed. So she leaves uh, the child's name. Uh, no birth father? No birth father. Or biological father. Yeah. Damn. So this was actually a pretty big deal. So much so that in, I think in like 1937 or 36, Hitler released a book about his entire lineage. He doesn't claim this Rothschild as his grandfather. He claims um his stepfather, whom his mom married. So yeah. I just thought that was very weird. I'd never heard about it before. And it's just something I wanted to mention, you know? But wouldn't that be funny? Maybe that's where all of his rage came from. Could have been. He was upset that his mother was shunned by the Jewish bloodline of the Rothschild. You know what? That sounds like a villain story. That sounds almost like the Joker storyline, right? Yeah. Anyways, I just thought that was interesting.
2: Okay, yeah. So here it is right here. It says, In 1931, Hitler ordered the SS to investigate the alleged rumors regarding his ancestry. They found no evidence of any Jewish Ancestors. He then ordered a. Hold
1: on, wait. Do you want to be the officer that comes back and says, well, sir, uh, we did find uh, evidence?
0: <laughs>
1: Hell no. See, then he ordered a
2: genealogist by the name of Rudolf Kappenstina to publish a large illustrated family tree showing his ancestry. This was published in the book The Pedigree of the Leader in 1937, which concluded that Hitler's family were all Austrian Germans. With no Jewish ancestry, and that Hitler had an unblemished Aryan pedigree.
1: Fake yeah. news. Yeah, fake news. I think that might be wrong. Anyway, we're going into theorizing territory. So I guess we should switch over to our theories section rather than strange facts and findings. Oh, I'm down. All right. So, Dan, why don't you tell us about this first theory we have as to what happened to Adolf?
2: All right. So, the first theory we have is called escaped. This is a theory that suggests that Adolf and Braun, you know, Eva Braun, did not commit suicide but actually escaped to Argentina. The theory is that a number of U-boats took certain Nazis and Nazi loot to Argentina, where the Nazis, supported by future president Juan Perón, had been receiving money from the Nazis for some time. Adolf allegedly arrived in Argentina, first staying at the Hacienda San Ramón, east of San Carlos. Adolf then moved to a Bavarian-style mansion at Inalco, a remote and barely accessible spot at the northwest end of a lake. Around 1954, Ava Braun left Adolf and moved to Neoquin with their daughter
1: Ursula, and Adolf died in February 1962. My thing is, how did they know all this? I know that some individuals went over there and did some investigating and that they talked to individuals that were hotel keepers at this Hacienda San Ramon, uh, east of San Carlos. And they were saying, yes, hey, uh, we had Hitler staying here. And then um, they also talked to the one of the servants, I think, for the Bavarian-styled mansion that Adolf stayed at. On her deathbed, she said, yeah, I was the one of the servants slash maids for that mansion. And this is where Adolf was at. So this documentary crew ended up walking around and looking around the area, and they did find like Nazi coins and Nazi memorabilia. And if the Nazis went anywhere, it would have been to Argentina, which they did go there. There is proof that the Nazis did go there. Now, the big question is, was Hitler one of the Nazis that ended up going there? They don't know.
2: I want to say that before World War II ended and Hitler committed suicide, supposedly, that he was making deals with Argentina. Like they just signed, I don't know if they signed like a treaty or something like that, I read somewhere that they made a deal, and that's why a lot of people think that he went to Argentina on those u boats.
1: Well, he had a good relationship with the uh, president at the time. Yeah. Anyway, all right, so let's get on to our next theory, which is called suicide. Now, this theory is probably the most commonly believed and well-known and probably most accepted theory by many individuals regarding Adolf Hitler. So this theory is that Adolf did indeed commit suicide on April 30th, 1945, in his underground bunker in Berlin. His wife, Eva Braun, ended up also committing suicide beside him. Now, according to this theory, it is believed right before Adolf shot himself that he bit down on a cyanide pill. Which, I mean, what's the point of biting down on a cyanide pill? Why don't you just do it, do it, dude?
2: I bet you... He got Eva to take the cyanide pill first, and he saw how she suffered, and he's probably screw that.
1: I don't want to do that. Damn, that looks like it hurts.
2: She's over here fucking shaking and shit. I don't want that. Uh-uh.
1: Yeah. This is the most accepted theory. I'm kind of skeptical of it, but I'll keep my personal opinions until the end. So let's get on to the next theory.
2: All right. So this next theory is called assassinated. In this theory, it is believed that the people in Adolf's inner circle actually assassinated him. Heinrich Himmler, Martin Bormann, or Otto, for instance, feared that Adolf would lead them to defeat and death. So before he got captured, I guess, they went down into the bunker with him and they
1: popped a cap in his ass. I can kind of see that, you know, he did have assassination attempts on him. So, yeah, because I mean, you think about it, like the suicide
2: one right after he died or committed suicide, someone came in there saw that they were dead, then walked out. Then someone else went in there and dragged his bodies out to go burn it. So that means they knew that he was going down there to do something like that. Following this theory, they assassinated him. Then they took his body to just go burn it to make sure, like, the deed was done.
1: <laughs> but where's the rest of the bones at then? They just got a jawbone and a piece of a skull. Where's the rest of it at? You know what? How, how long does it take to cremate somebody? I don't think the ground, if you just catch a body on fire with petrol, the bones are going to go away. How hot does a fire need to be to burn bones?
2: The cremation process for humans take between one and a half to two hours. The body is placed in a retort which is heated to 1400 to 1800 degrees Fahrenheit. So it says that petrol burns auto-ignition temperature 280 degrees Celsius, 536 degrees Fahrenheit. That's nowhere near the 1400 to 1800 that it would take to actually cremate a body in two hours. Yeah. So the question is, like, so he could have been assassinated, but the burning of the body is what's throwing all this off still. That's with the suicide and all that.
1: But if you take this next theory into account, you don't even got to worry about this. That's true. So this next theory we have is called captured. So this theory states that Adolf did not die, but he was actually captured by the Soviet Union and was held prisoner for several years. Now, there's pretty much no evidence for this, you know, to kind of make it believable, other than, you know, just speculation that he was captured. Which, if they captured him, do you think that they would announce it? No. Because
2: uh, if the Soviets captured him, so if going through, like, knowing World War II, after doing a shit ton of reading on this, you know, Germany signed a treaty or non-aggression pact with Soviet Union. But the main goal that the Nazis had were to invade Russia to take over, to get more living space for the Aryans. If I was, Joseph Stalin, so pissed off that we signed a non-aggression pact and then you betrayed us. Now I'm going to take you. I'm not going to tell any other country that I have you. I'm going to torture the shit out of you. Damn. Okay. Okay. I mean, because if they if they told the other countries like, hey, we have captured Hitler, all those other countries are going to want him to pretty much repent for
1: what he did. But if they did capture him, was it the real Hitler? I
2: don't know. That could fit into the next theory.
1: Yes, it could.
2: This next theory is called body double. So this theory is that Adolf faked his death with the use of a body double just for himself so that the body they found in the bunker was not actually Adolf's. But one of his doubles so that he could protect himself and escape. Which the sad part is, I don't think he used one for his wife. <laughs> he married her down in bunker, then Oh, that's a shitty marriage.
1: Yeah, it is. I I don't know. I guess it kind of this kind of goes into our own personal thoughts and theories now. Okay, so from what we know, he did have multiple body doubles. Yes. It's my personal opinion that he did not die in the bunker. Now, if he didn't die in the bunker, that means one of two things. He escaped, or he got caught, okay? I don't think he got captured. Now, the reason I don't think he got captured is because if he did, the bones that they have, the Russian state archives, why would they be so protective over them? And when they were tested, the skull fragment, it was a female. Wouldn't the Russian state archives be like, okay, first of all, if they captured him, tortured him, then killed him, or he died, they would actually take his skull fragment, you know, or or bones, and then say, hey, yeah, we found his quote-unquote body. We found it, you know, instead. But in reality, they tortured him. They don't want anybody to know that. So I don't think he was captured. I think that he ended up escaping with the help of Argentina, and America knew where he was at, but they didn't want to tell the Soviet Union. They just kind of monitored him and, uh, you know, allowed him to kind of live out his life there, just did intelligence gathering by sending in, quote-unquote, maids who were part of, you know, the FBI to gather intelligence. Okay. That's what I believe.
2: Now, I'm going to say that he was captured, but it's only part of the theory. So, in the bunker, his wife did die. She took a cyanide pill, but he didn't kill himself. He didn't take the cyanide pill, and he didn't shoot himself. He was actually captured by the Soviet. They used the burning of the bodies as trying to say, oh, yep, they found him, he was burned to death. You know, this is all that's left of him. The jawbone, you could replicate that, you know, to make it look like his own dental records. The skull, the Russians would not let them do like DNA testing and stuff on the skull. It was what the people had on their glove that they took when they weren't supposed to. The Russians were hoping that the skull would, you know, be like, okay, this is Adolf, he's actually dead. But then they found out that it actually belonged to a female after testing it.
1: And then they closed off anybody <laughs> being able to go te- do test or see the skull. They closed it off. They're like, nope, no one can come and see it.
2: Now, do I actually think that the Soviets kept Hitler there and uh, tortured him? Probably not. I think that Russia and Hitler probably made a deal. Considering all the Nazi gold and treasures and shit that they had, Hitler probably made a deal with them. Like, hey, you can have this whole like ship full of uh, gold and treasures and stuff that we got if you let me go. That is when he went to
1: Argentina. Now, when you say Russia, you mean Soviet Union, right? Yeah.
2: The Soviet Union at the time. But yeah, they made a deal. Hitler paid him off. He got let go. He ended up going to Argentina and living his life there.
1: Okay. Do you think that maybe he helped the United States? Okay, hold on. Let me back up. What if he was captured by the Soviet Union? They brokered a deal, traded him over to the United States allowed Hitler to give them information, start Project Paperclip, where they bring over the other Nazis, and then allowed him to go to Argentina and live out the rest of his life.
2: Mm, I think they probably just made the deal with the scientists. They didn't involve Hitler. All the scientists probably hated Hitler, just for the fact that he led them to their own defeat, pretty much. Okay.
1: Very interesting. I liked researching this.
2: Finding out all the different theories about his death, and honestly seeing a lot of the proof, Not proof, but evidence that people collected through this. Like the one I found earlier that I have linked here. That's the incredible picture that proves Adolf Hitler lived to 95 with his Brazilian lover. Which if you click it and you'll see the first, the photos together, the image on the left is supposed to be a grainy image to show Hitler with his lover. But yet, you can't really make out his face at all. Not at all. But yeah, they said that he moved to Argentina. He settled in a small town there in Brazil, and then he went by the name of Adolf Leipzig. And the locals there knew him as the old German. But yeah, he uh supposedly went to Argentina, moved to this little town in Brazil, and then then he began to hunt for buried treasure using a map that was supposedly given to him by his friends within the Vatican. Which I didn't know he had friends in the Vatican. But yeah, that's what this one article says and It's it's hard to tell if that's actually Hitler or not.
1: Yeah. But we'll have a link to this article up on our website for anyone that wants to take a look at it. I just want to state before we end this episode, I know there are a lot of other claims and theories and strange facts regarding Hitler's death. So don't get upset with us and say, you suck, you didn't cover this. We have a limited amount of time to cover as much as we can. We just warm you up. And then you can go on your way and set you free for doing your own research and stuff.
2: That's right. And if you find something that's interesting that you think we could have mentioned, let us know. But we're not going to cover everything. Yeah. Just most of the stuff.
1: All right. Well, with that being said, Dan, do you have anything else you want to add to today's episode? No, I'm good. All right. Well, that is the end of our episode today over Hitler's death. So if you are a loved one, Have anything else you want to add or any theories or anything? Feel free to shoot those on over to us to our email at Dan, D-A-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com, or Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and we would love to hear from you. That's right. Send us the email. All right. So now we are going to get into our on-the-scene. So our on-the-scene is where an individual goes out and interviews could be people on the street or themselves or family members, and gets their personal thoughts and theories regarding current conspiracies. Now anyone can do this, meaning you, yes you, the person listening to this right now. All you got to do is get your phone, find someone, or you can do it yourself, and uh, press record, get their opinion or your opinion about a certain conspiracy topic, and then make sure that recording is less than two minutes long. Make sure there is no background music. If there's background music, we cannot play it. After you get done with your recording, you can send that to our email address, which is Aaron at TheoriesOfTheThirdKind.com or Dan, D-A-N, at TheoriesOfTheThirdKind.com, and make sure you put in the subject line on the scene, and we will put it in line to play at the end of the show each week. All right, so for this week's On the Scene, we have Ed. And we're gonna play that right now.
0: Hello, how's it going? This is Ed, um, recording on the scene. I'm here with my dad, just chilling out in my backyard. Uh, as far as some crazy stuff, I'm usually a skeptic, so I usually come up with ideas of some of the weirder stuff that happens. But the weirdest thing that happened in my house was the um, we were it was it was like 2 p.m. on a Saturday. We we're just playing like Tekken and freaking out of nowhere. There's this loud voice in the house. And I think, what the hell was that? It was kind of scary because it was really loud and it sounded like an old lady. Like, I automatically defaulted to a witch. I look at everyone else and they're all looking at me and of each other and everyone dipped. (laughs) Needless to say, uh, I went back into the house to see, like, make sure there was no intruder, you know, and there was nothing there. So that's the craziest thing that's happened that I can think of in terms of paranormal stuff that I honestly couldn't explain. Everything else I could kind of give an explanation for, but I'm here with my dad, and my dad has—I know he's had some interesting stories. So, yeah.
3: Um, I was stationed on an aircraft carrier over in uh, Yokosuka, Japan, and uh, I had one of my one of my guys that worked for me. He was married to a, a Japanese girl, and uh, we—they uh, had a house there and stuff in uh, in Yokosuka, and that, and we used to go driving around and stuff, and. And uh, we took a trip to Mount Fuji, and it was in the winter time, and uh, it was snow-capped and everything. And uh, we went there, it took maybe about two or three hours to get there. But uh, once we got there, it was barren. It was, there was like nothing there. It looked like Nevada desert. It's how dry it was, right? And then they had like a little, little pavilion area where they had a little bathroom and stuff, but the bathrooms were all locked. It was out of season. I think everybody hikes it like in the summertime or spring, but not in the season that we went. So I was like, oh man, after that ride, man, I was like, hey, I got to go to the bathroom, man. I'll go across the street and this, I go across the street and this,
2: uh, it's like a, uh,
3: it's like a black uh, tree forest with these trees that are just straight up with no leaves on them. And, uh, I went in there to get sheltered, to, to to go against one of the trees, and, and it didn't feel like I was. It felt like I was being watched the whole time I was in there. I was like looking around and looking around. Like there wasn't any animals or anything. There wasn't no leaves or anything. It was a weird freaking forest. So I went kind of deep in there, and I finally found a spot that I thought was private, and I went to the bathroom there, and I was like, it's really weird. It, it doesn't feel like it's private and there's nobody completely around and there's you know and then i came out of there and i'm looking around could feel like there's eyes on me you know it was really strange and i went over to russell and his wife uh Hiroko and they were laughing they were like and they were like looking they were laughing they were like and Hiroko was like daddy brand there that's what they called me i was i was a senior i was the guy that ran the shop they called me daddy brand they was like she was like, Daddy Brand, you know, you just walked in the the forest of death, the black forest, where where the local yokels, man, go and like when they want to when they want to commit suicide, that's where they go do it. And She said it's like taboo to walk in there, but you just walked in there, like like no problem. And I said, yeah, it felt weird. I said I had to walk in pretty far too, because it felt like I was being watched. You know, I had to find a, the right corner. I said, but how come there's no leaves and stuff? And he's like, like it's like, it's a forest, but it's a forest. It's like the forest of the dead. There's like <laughs> spirits in there, and I, I was like, uh, I could feel a, a dark presence, but I'm in the light, you know. I bring the light where I go, so.
0: You uh, walked in I, I bring, to the I place the, of death, I took a the piss, light. and then walked out like a Chad. <laughs> I brought the light. Yeah.
3: I bring the light with me where I go. I bring, I yeah. bring the the, yeah. the, the 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 lighter side of gray. All I don't right. bring the dark side unless the dark side yeah. inspires me. Yeah, I gotcha. I you gotcha. And, and they didn't so, ins- <laughs> inspire me to be dark at all. This What's is your question.
0: So this is like this is a this is a lo- this is like four and a half minutes. So I think we've worn up our welcome here. So <laughs> yeah, we hope you all play this and. <laughs> Yeah, love the podcast. Uh, listen to it on all my drives, and keep up the good work, guys. Thank you.
1: Ed, that was over four minutes. Unacceptable. But hey, it was good. It was good. I allowed it. Damn, so your dad,
2: when they went to hike Mount Fuji, had to go piss because those...
1: I think he took a shit in the forest. I didn't think he pissed. I think he walked in and took a shit. Oh, took a shit in suicide
2: forest. That's it's pretty ballsy.
1: It is. We haven't covered Suicide Forest.
2: It's on the list, though.
1: Yeah. But thank you for your on the scene, Ed. And thank you to your father for sharing his story as well. We love you and are proud of you. That's right. All right. So now we would usually go to our birthday shoutouts. But like we said last week, we are moving all of our birthday shout outs to Patreon only, which will start the first week of May. So if you're part of Patreon, make sure you send us a message and say, hey, I'm a Patreon member. I want a birthday shout-out for this state. okay? Uh, the reason we had to do this is because the birthday shout-outs were getting so accumulated that it would take up 20 to 30 minutes of the end of the show, and we'd rather allocate that to research and the topic in general. Exactly. But, hey, I just want you all to know that we love you. We are proud of every single one of you. Thank you for your support, and uh, be safe out there, okay? So with that being said, I want to thank you for joining us today. And again, thank you so much for all of your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone.